The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in a poor family that was rich in love. She had a speech impediment as a child, and as she grew, language and proper grammar became important to her. She realized early that she was different. She wasn't willing to settle like others and always believed there were ways to get what you wanted. And even though as a Black woman she was told she didn't belong, she decided early on that she wasn't going to let others tell her who she was. Today, she considers herself to be in the transformation business. As a counseling psychologist, she helps others identify their blind spots and craft new plans of success. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Faith Brown. Hi, Faith. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Annette. How are you? Oh, wonderful. my goodness. And we have so much to talk about, and we have such a little time together. So I'm well, going to jump well, right listen, on in. I just have to thank you, first of all, for being here. This is such an awesome, awesome, awesome platform you've put together. And for us to be together this month, Women's History Month, is just amazing. So thank you for celebrating women. Our stories are always worthy of being celebrated, but right now at a time that we get to uh, tell our stories, lift our voices in unison, thank you so much. Well, and it's my pleasure. And I'm so glad you're part of this journey and you're coming along with me. So early in life, you learn to adapt and maneuver what you call the unwritten rules. What did these rules look like and how did you maneuver them? Wow. So unwritten rules, um, those are always the thorniest, if you will, right? Because when you kind of, when they're written, you kind of know what to do. Um, I was reared in the South and um, I was a product of the the 60s. I was reared in the 60s. And of course, um, going into the 70s, um, a lot of the Jim Crow laws were not as strong then as they had been previously. But there were areas in the South where there were still those, you could still sense the impact of those rules. So um, one unwritten rule was that uh, little black, young black women and young black men, young white men didn't have proms together or they didn't go out. So although I went to an integrated school, the proms were separate. There was a black prom and there was a white prom. Um, I was elected as school queen, but there was also a white school queen. So no one is actually writing these rules saying, <laughs> you know, um, when you come to this school, you, can, you, you can't have, you know, um, co-ed proms or, co- or co-racial proms, or there would just be one prom, there would be two, right? No one is saying that out loud. But my class actually endeavored to change things. We decided, you know, no, we don't want this anymore. We, you know, we love one another. We want to be together. And actually, the powers that be said, no, no, it, you can't have it that way. This is how it is. And this is how it will always be. So those were some um, unwritten rules that we had to navigate. But I have to tell you, Annette, it's because of uh, those unwritten rules that you learn to navigate in places and spaces in life. You learn how to adapt. You learn to listen. You learn to observe very carefully one's surroundings. And you decide, you know, out of a 
out of wisdom, you know, when to speak, when not to speak, um, when to move forward, when not to. Um, so you just learn to navigate the world, I think, a little differently than you would had those rule, those unwritten rules not been in place. And I have to say, I, I would I think that in large part, they have a lot to do with how I have evolved today, actually. Yeah, you know, I'm going to stay in this just for a second longer because sure. these um, these unwritten rules uh, really trip up women, mm-hmm. especially in the business world. Sure. Uh, there's all these rules. And I certainly know during my corporate days, they certainly tripped me up because mm-hmm. there were there were rules going on for the game that I was playing that I had no idea. And women didn't know them to tell me. So I stumbled my way through and fell flat on my face many times. Sure, sure, sure. So did I. And the first thing is you don't even know you're playing a game. And that's exactly that's right. You don't even that's know the first thing, right? You're that exactly a game right is face. in play, right? It's only when you bump up against it that you know something is a little afoot here. Something is different. And of course, I experienced a lot of sexism, a lot of misogyny in the workplace. Um, I recall a particular instance when um, I was fortunate enough, I was in sales and marketing for a very long time in corporate America, and I was fortunate enough to make history one year by uh, winning 28 awards in one year. So on the local level, the regional level, and on the national level, total 20 awards had never been done in the history of the company. And there was the unwritten rule there that, you know, once you accomplish once you were seen as accomplished, of course you uh, could advance your career. Of course you'd be considered for promotion. So <clears throat> that year I decided to throw my hat in the ring for promotion, right? That's what we do. So it turns out though, that that particular job was not offered to me. It was extended to someone else. It was extended to a white male. What was interesting about this is that once the gentleman went off to training, to orientation for this new position, he could not pass training. So he failed the training process because he didn't have the skill set. He didn't have the experience. He was promoted um, out of for political reasons only, for the most part. So I was passed over for political reasons. After he fell, they circled back around to me to say, uh, Faith, would you reconsider, you know? And so is those things, I didn't know I was playing that game. I thought I had to perform. And by performing and proving myself, right, I earned the right to throw my hat in the ring. And particularly after being considered number one in the company, number one in the company. So making history is one thing, but then number one in the whole company is something totally different. But that wasn't quite enough. So yes, we're often passed over for various reasons. And, you know, we just dust ourselves off and we keep going. We can decide to sit and wallow in that. Or we can decide, you know what? You know, I brought myself to this game, you know, and I'm working for someone else. I'm expending this energy. I'm the talent. I'm the asset. What more can I accomplish? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to stay in this space for such a second because you're a woman of high expectations of yourself and of others. Yet you told me you have learned you can't want something more for someone than they want for themselves. Yes. So how can we as women who are driven to help others navigate this disconnect? Because this is one that bothers me. It really does. Yeah. So you navigate it by allowing someone to tell their story, right? And in telling their story, you get to hear their fears. You get to hear um, their desires and you get to hear which ways more, their desire to accomplish more 
or the fear that will keep them at bay. And so we give up wanting more for someone else than they want for themselves because it becomes an instance where you're pushing an elephant uphill. And anytime you are, um, you're not inspiring someone to greatness, but rather pushing them into uh, what we think would be their greatest moments, it never works. So for women, if we want them to shine, if we want them to have their greatest moment, then we should understand that for everyone, it's a personal decision. And once they own the decision, then it's easier for them to navigate and, and follow one's guidance into their greatness. Otherwise, it will never materialize the way we think it will. So we give up our idea of what that could look like in deference to who they're telling us they are in that moment. So, so maybe they desire to move forward. Maybe it's just not in that moment. Well, and also, I think um, the way I have reconciled it within myself is I've tried to position myself as the messenger mm-hmm. and not get so attached to the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's a tough one to do for us driven women that are used to making things happen. It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, when I, I navigate that more for myself, you know, when I know that I'm working towards a greater end, right? And for those of us who, as you stated, who are high achievers, we set goals. And um, what we have to know, though, that the mission is greater than, than we are, right? And so there, there are lessons along the road. And it gives us opportunity. If we don't land it, if we don't stick it the first time, it gives us, us an opportunity to evaluate and to go back and go, okay, here's where I need to, you know, pull up a bit so that we can realize the outcome that we're we're looking for. And and exercise some personal grace along that journey, <laughs> personal right? Personal grace, yes. <laughs> personal grace, yes. Yes. All right, so we all deal with self-doubt, Faith. Um, sure. When do you see this creep in on you, and how do you squash it? <laughs> Self-doubt? <laughs> ah, a million times a day we confront that. You know, Annette, what a great question. I deal with that by knowing that it's not about me, number one. Number one is it really isn't about me. Whatever it is I'm endeavoring and oftentimes um, is given to the greater good more so than I am. And so, but what I will begin to do is ask myself, you know, what is it that's troubling? What's causing me pause in this moment? And if I can figure that out, then I can kind of stomp on the fear because it gives me an opportunity to be logical about it as opposed to emotional about it. So at times people have tried to tell you who you should be and where you should fit. So I'm curious, why do you think people do this and how have you fought against this and made your own identity? Yeah, I think people do it because um, the more we are alike, the less fearful people tend to be. You know, it's when people don't understand a person, a thing, a situation um, that they kind of become a little um, curious about it, you know, suspicious about it. But the more I can make something like me, the more comfortable I can be with it. Right. <laughs> um, so I think the, the best way for me um, in terms of not allowing myself to be defined by others' opinions of me about what I should or shouldn't be um, has to do with uh, my mother actually sharing with me, you can be anything you want to be. And in doing so, while I was a kid who had a, a speech impediment, you know, she helped me to overcome that. She also exposed me to something different 
than the four corners of my little small town. She allowed me to get out into the world. And um, in in that exposure, um, I think there was a sense of being in the world. There was a sense of, oh, here is not all there is. There is more, you know? And so to be confined by small town ideals, knowing that there were big city dreams, <laughs> and, and as well as big city realities, then I knew that one's thought processes around me were limited to their own exposures. So I couldn't allow their limitations to limit me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it goes back sure. to my mom. Yeah. Goes back to her. Yeah. But I can see how uh, women can often struggle with people trying to fit them into a box. Sure. Sure. And, and the more driven they are and high achiever type they are, that almost feels like somebody choking them. Absolutely. I think we just saw an, an example of that uh, just the other night, Sunday night with the Meghan Markle Harry uh, interview, right? Where, you know, Megan, this American is trying to fit into this royal box and she's someone who's had a voice all of her life and to suddenly have a voice silenced. It just wasn't working out, you know, to have someone tell you what you can and cannot say or when you can say it versus when you cannot say it was something that was very foreign. So when you try to tell us what to do, what to do and how to do it, how women should act, how we should how we should treat our bodies or not, right? Just telling us what to do as opposed to having a conversation with us. You have a conversation with us. We may be inclined to listen. It doesn't mean that we're going to do it. It may mean that we may listen to you to see if you have a point, <laughs> you know, just maybe, and, you know, in the interest of peace. But uh, short of that, no, no, no. Is this is one is not going to win that game. Right. No. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so you told me, you see life these days as limited by what we say it is. So explain what you mean by this. And more importantly, how we can keep from limiting all the goodness life has to offer us. Yeah, it goes back to, you know, seeing things to the extent of our exposure. You know, sometimes we just don't know that more exists. So once we, and, and so let me just give you an example. You and I, Annette, can witness let's say an automobile accident, the exact same automobile accident. When the police come around to take the report, he or she may ask me what happened and I will give an account. You can indeed give a totally separate account of that exact same incident because our narrative will be limited to our exposure. It's really the subconscious coming into play. So the more we're exposed, the more we know is possible. It's, it's really simple. The more we know, the more we're exposed, the more we know is possible. Then we get to, well, it's possible, but is it possible for me, right? We live in America. We just elected the first black vice president. We've been trying to elect a woman for a very long time. But is it possible for me? Um, it is possible for us when we stop listening to others guidance on how to get there. When we start listening to our own intuition, when we start listening to our heart, knowing if there were, you know, if the goal is to take down a building, you know, if that's the goal, one may, you know, get dynamite and blow it up, right? The other may just take it, get, grab a scalpel and take it down one brick at a time. It doesn't matter. The path is the goal is to get it down or to take it down. So the question becomes, how badly do you want it? 
And how much of you do you know that you can do it? And if you know you can do it, then we don't listen to naysayers. You figure it out. You figure it out. And using the power of imagination, seeing yourself in that space, seeing yourself doing it, and then uh, reverse engineering a path backwards to the beginning to just navigate your way through, then you know it's possible for you. It may not be the contemporary way of getting there. It may not be the usual path of getting there. The point is to get there. And try to stay away from those that tell you that you'll never get there. Absolutely. Because they're everywhere. They're on every corner, aren't they? They are, but they're not there. They are not there. So why are we listening to someone who's not there? (laughs) Isn't that interesting that we do take advice from people that have never been there? Absolutely. It's um, one, one of my guests told me something that I thought was so wise. And she was saying, don't have people take you someplace they've never been themselves. And she was speaking in terms of who you hire as coach and mentors and courses you take. And so on. don't, don't, don't take, you know, don't let somebody take you by the hand that have never walked that path. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely not. So it's very interesting. So um, often others are not ready to receive faith. What God wants you to, where he wants you to take them. Sure. So does this discourage you? And how do you keep pushing forward toward a mission some might not be prepared for? Hmm. Actually, it's not discouraging at all, because just because I want to take them there again, doesn't mean that they're prepared to go there. Everybody is not prepared to go where God is taking me. And so, and for someone else, their path uh, may be clear. However, they may not be willing and we can't make anyone be willing. I'll take you to a, um, a two month old baby. If you're diapering a two month old baby, that baby is going to lay there and you're going to, you're going to be you're likely to successfully diaper that baby. By the time that baby begins to move at six months and eight months old, and you're trying to diaper that baby, you're turning all kinds of gyrations trying to diaper that baby. By the time someone begins to move, you learn that you cannot control another person. You cannot control them. And since you can't control them, you allow them to go through whatever that process is to get to start. And once they're ready, I mean, being a therapist, being, doing the work that I do, I have actually, um, I have an assessment that everyone completes coming into my office. And one of the questions is on a, on a scale of one to 10, how inspired are you to change? How ready are you to change? Anything below a seven and that gets referred out. Because that's someone who's constantly in contemplation mode. And it's okay to be there. It's okay. And you let them be there. I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of convincing anyone. I'm not. I'm in the business of inspiring one. So when they're ready, <laughs> when they're ready to go on this journey, I will be there ready to, you know, take them on and to walk with them. But it's not until they're ready. Yeah. And it's hard to make somebody ready. They have to make themselves ready, don't they? Absolutely. You can't, you can't control another person. You just cannot. Yeah. And you know, the, the interesting thing about that faith is um, I, I find, and I'm sure some of those listening find this as well, that we as coaches and as mentors and sponsors and all these roles that we play, we can see the greatness in people. Sure. And they, they can't see it themselves or they refuse to walk into that. Sure. Limelight. Sure. And um, and you just have to move past it, don't you? 
Okay, so I'm going to go into an area that's a bit controversial, but I want your 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 thoughts on this. So racism okay. is a disturbing issue that we can't seem to resolve. Yeah. So as a woman of color, how do you view racism and does it impact your ability to claim your value? So what is the problem? Why is racism a problem? <sighs> because there was an, an initial lie told that there was more than one race. And it's not. There's only one race. So once a lie is perpetuated and we can never seem to get in front of it, can never seem, you know, to quite squash it and have an honest conversation about it, um, it can have devastating effects that, I mean, that's just the way it is. So I know that there's only one race. There's one race. And the reason we're different shades, the reason we're different tones, the reason there are different pigments is because of how we evolved on earth. Life started in one place and we moved out of that one place into either colder regions or warmer regions. And it had everything to do with how then we adapt, right? But when you're in a warm climate, the, 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 the darker your skin, the more protected one is, you know, the shorter the hair, the wider the nostrils, the, the more we can, uh, we can, the more we can, so- I'm sorry, the bet- more we can survive. The more we begin to move into colder regions, we don't need the darker pigmentation. We need a narrow, narrow nose, right? So, such that we can breathe the thin air and we need longer hair to keep us warm. So evolution, the evolution of man. So once we learn the story about how we became different shades, why we have, um, you know, different complexions, then we can begin to peel back, you know, layers of this onion about, you know, pitting one against the other simply because of skin color, we will then accept the truth that there is only one race, the human race. So does it affect me and does it impact my value in the world? Uh, Once I really learn the truth about who I am, the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I, again, that's, that's truth. You can't argue with truth. You can argue with the way truth is told, but you can't argue with fact. And so it is what it is. And I, I, I don't have to argue that. I know who I am. And so, and then if we go back to chemistry and we just look at how, think, how you know, what, what, what the basis of color, you know, what is color and what makes what, you can get almost any shade that you're mixing with black, you know, or dark pigmentation. Almost any shade can come out of that. If you're going to mix white with white, you're going to always get white. That's the way that goes. And so when we look at where life began, you know, and this is not about being one being superior or the other, you know, not, it's just about fact. This is how it is. So since it was like that, I don't have a reason now to feel uh, insecure, subservient about any room I walk into. There was a time when it did impact me because I didn't know the truth. Once you learn the truth, the truth makes you free. So I'm free because I know the truth. So no, it doesn't impact me that way. Yeah, and I love that. And I hope that many others that have this uh, racism that's impacting them, and we have so many people that are held down and and it creates such division in our country and in the world. Uh, We're experiencing that, you know? Yes, we are. And I think it it is the universe beckoning us to have a conversation. Let's have a conscious conversation about this, you know, and let's see if we can get to the bottom of it. You and I are different 
we're different pigments. We're the same race. <laughs> we have different complexions, right? But you and I can have um, a respectful conversation on this topic. We can even agree to disagree because we're adults, right? You're entitled to an opinion. I'm entitled to an opinion. But fact is what it is. And because if we if, if the interest is in getting to the facts of a matter, no matter what that is, race or any other controversial topic, if it's about the fact, we should be able to have a mature conversation about that. Yes, we should. We don't do a very good job at it, but we should. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, right. So I have one last question for me. Ah. So you, you told me that you are a dreamer. Ah, yes. So my question is, what do you dream about, Faith? I am um, Annette. Uh, I'm not big into astrology, but I am true to my, <laughs> to my, to my sign. I'm a Libra. And so a Libra loves, loves, loves loving, number one, loves all things beauty, all things, you know, so peace is important to me, <laughs> peace and justice. I dream of peace. I dream of justice, a time when we can um, love one another, you know, uninhibitedly, unabashedly just love one another. Um, I get the greatest joy uh, when I'm loving someone, you know. Um, I, Christmas time is a special time because I get to love on people um, and I love on people for no reason. And I think once we do that, we are doing God's work. I believe that um, we, we draw more bees with honey than we do, you know, with vinegar. I believe that we draw more people to the kingdom by love through love than strife. So I dream of love and I dream of, of peace. Um, so Whatever instances that allow us to get a little closer to that, that's what I try to create. That's what I dream first, and that's what I try to create. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I think that is a, a statement of, of, of dreaming and inspiration to encourage others to also be dreamers, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, Faith, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, there's probably just one thing, and I, I think, and it goes kind of in, in hand in hand with what you just asked, and it's just not to give up on yourself. Don't ever stop per persevering. Um, I'm working on a project right now, I'm working on a nonprofit, actually, um, to address, um, it seems, this uh, the ricochet effects of COVID and this time that this time of uncertainty that we're going through. Um, my heart was, was broken seeing the number of women that have been um, marginalized by um, whatever the effects of COVID were, be it stuck in the house with an abusive husband, you know, losing a job. You know, there are 21 million people out of work right now. Um, so I wondered what could I do to help? And so I decided that I would start a nonprofit and the nonprofit to put as many women to work and put them in charge of their destinies if that's what they decide to do. We know that um, Washington just passed um, another stimulus bill, right? But it took them to sign off on it. That was determining someone else's destination, whether someone else is gonna, whether they can pay their rent, pay their mortgage, make their houses just to survive. But if you can give a woman tools, I believe so much in us. If we give a woman tools, I do believe, I trust that she will do the right thing by herself and by her family. So for every woman who's striving and wants um, 
to, 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 to take their destiny into their own hands, who desire entrepreneurship in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I'm creating, I'm creating a nonprofit to allow her to step into her destiny and to take control of her own life. So um, that's me getting closer to peace. <laughs> that's me getting closer to joy. That's me allowing a woman to have it her way and to write a script the way she wants it to go, as opposed to being beholden to a system, um, to a person or to a government who wants her to do it any other way. She can actually write it her way. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that mission. And I'm excited to see what unfolds because <laughs> I have no doubt it'll be magnificent. No doubt. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Faith, it has been such a pleasure to have you here with me today. It took us a while to get this schedule. We're yes, both such did. busy women, but I am so <laughs> glad we made this happen. And thank you for being so transparent about your, your journey and your wisdoms. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Again, thank you so much for having a platform like this that allow women like me to even have a voice and to speak into the lives of other women and letting them know we're in this thing together and we can get there together. And faith is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. <laughs>